CC, we are overjoyed to have you here with us on this Sunday morning. If you're new with us this morning, we want to get to know you. So go ahead and text connect to the number on your screen so that we can get connected. Here at NBCC, we are a church that prays together, worships together, and serves together. If you want to get connected and involved in serving, go ahead and text SERVE to the number on your screen. Even though the music has stopped, we do not have to stop in our time of worship. We want to continue to worship through giving. We've tried to make this as easy as possible for you. So you can either go to our mobile app or our website to give. We are super hungry for the word and totally excited to hear what Pastor Mike has to say. So let's head on over and jump in. Hey, good morning. I'm glad you're with us. We are starting a new series called Dangerous. And this is just a study through the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter one this morning. And the reason that I called this dangerous, this letter dangerous, is that the guy who wrote this book, the Apostle Paul, was a very dangerous person. And what I mean by that is the moment he gave his life to God, he became very dangerous to the world system. He became very dangerous to the cultural norm. He became really dangerous to the enemy, the devil himself. Think about this for a minute. If you're listening to this or you're watching this, 
man, I, I hope this is encouraging and teaching and most of all convicting of where God wants you to be, that he loves you, he's got a plan for your life, and he wants you to step into that. But I want you to think, if you've accepted Christ into your life, that moment that you surrendered everything to him, got that moment in your mind? You got that in your heart? That is the day you became a very dangerous person to the enemy and to the world system. You are now a follower of Jesus. You are living upstream. You are going against the flow. You're going against the norm, the way that the world system works. When we mean that, the Bible uses a phrase over and over again called the worldly system. The worldly system is basically everything I can do to step over someone else to get that position. The world system says, whatever I can do to get that item, I'm going to do that at any cost. It's all about image. It's, it's all about how others view me. It's all about majority rule or being swayed by the crowd. That worldly system that just is blown and tossed by the wind. Contrary to that, when we accept Christ, he wants us to have this assurance and this confidence about us that we won't be blown and tossed by the wind. I think about um, certain people that had a quiet confidence about them and how they made a difference and how they were very dangerous people. I'm thinking about um, Corrie Tin Boom, who when during the time of the Holocaust, her and her family who were Christian decided that they were gonna hide Jewish people who were trying to escape uh, the Holocaust and the devastation of that in the very basement of their home that they risked their own lives. They, they lived a dangerous life because they were loving people who Jesus loved. I, I think about a modern day example of that, uh, a friend of mine by the name of Brad Dacus, who runs a organization called Pacific Justice Institute. His one passion, his one goal is to advance the gospel and to protect God's churches by fighting for religious liberties and what is right standing up for freedom and standing up for what is right. He's a very dangerous person because he's going against the norm, but he's making a difference for Christ. And of course, the best example of all is Jesus himself. Jesus set the standard of the kingdom. Jesus was dangerous to the system in his day because he came as an adversary in a way to the religious world. I'll give you an example. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 as thousands of people were gathered on a hill listening to the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He went on to say things like this. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, then you have committed murder. It's the way that we live our life that goes almost against the flow of the world. And we should not be afraid of living dangerously for Christ. I think that's what was inside of Paul when he wrote this letter, which we'll get to in just a second, that, that he was a dangerous person to the religious system. He was a dangerous person to those around him because he stood up for what Christ wanted him to stand up for, which is the good news that every person can be saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, before we read verses 1 through 11, I always want to know the background of why this was written and the context because it helps me appreciate so much more the pen of the Apostle Paul and what the Holy Spirit was doing. Paul wrote this letter literally while he was in prison. In fact, he wrote four of his epistle letters 
um, from the very prison cell that he had been condemned to. Uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and of course, the letter of Philippians. The city of Philippi was located in Europe. It was really the colony of Rome uh, when it was established. That was the very first time that the gospel had gone to this area through the Apostle Paul. Paul didn't even really know he was supposed to go to Philippi, which I love how the story unfolds. He and Silas actually tried to go to Galatia, but it says, this is in Acts 16, that the Holy Spirit actually stopped them from going. The Holy Spirit shut a door that they were not to go to Galatia, which is where they wanted to go. Then they tried to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit stopped them there. There was only one route left, and that was to go west. You know, it makes me think of Psalm 37, verse 23. We may be feeling like in our life that God is shutting a door, and it seems like the harder we try and push that door down, the harder it's closed. Um, Psalm 37 says this, The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Well, I need to remember that. To not fight God, um, to not uh, uh, get frustrated when He gives me a no, Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says not yet. If the Apostle Paul were here materialized in this very room and he was uh, across the sound waves and across the video right now, and we were to ask him, hey, Paul, where are you going next? He might say something like this. I don't know, man. All I know is I'm following God and he tells me where the next step is. So in this context, Paul receives, after he got two no's, he receives this vision from God of a man in Macedonia who's saying to Paul, Paul, come and, and, and we need help. Come to Macedonia and come find us there. Paul makes his way with Silas down to this place of, uh, I'm sorry, west, which is uh, the city of Philippi. He comes to a river and he sees some women by the riverside. He goes up and he strikes up a conversation with his women that are gathered there. One of them, their name is Lydia. It says that she was a God-fearing woman. And he zeroes in on her and he shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what I love about this is two things. It says that God opened up Lydia's heart so she could receive Christ. But Paul was also bold enough to share the good news of Christ. That's what I love about the Apostle Paul, man. He just shared the good news with anyone that was willing to listen. She receives Christ as her Savior. They are baptized and they invite Paul over to her house. And so Paul and Silas now are having a meal in the home of Lydia. They're in trouble now after this event happens in that city for preaching the gospel. So now stay with me. They're thrown into prison and the very guard that has locked the gate and guarding over Paul and Silas, it says at midnight, they begin to sing songs and they begin to pray to God. And so the guard is literally on duty, making sure the Apostle Paul does not escape and Silas do not escape. And he was so intrigued by what they were doing as they're singing to God and they're praying to God. God causes this massive earthquake. The doors of the jail fly open and they're now free. The jailer knows that if he loses any prisoner, he would be executed on the spot right before he plunges the sword into his chest. Paul says, no, man, don't do it. We're here to save you. Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins. It says that he shared the good news of the gospel and the jailer now gives his life to Jesus Christ. He invites Paul over to his house and the jailer's whole family now gets saved. They all get baptized that very night. It says immediately. And these two families accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They must have they must have impacted other people 
Because right here, that is how the Philippian church started. I needed to take some time to give you that info because it's with that, all that background, all of that that Paul put into this letter, writing from prison, that he writes these very words here that we're going to start in now verses 1 and 2. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas, servants of, the, of Christ Jesus, to all of God's people, I write this letter in Philippi together with the overseers and the servants. So he's writing to everyone, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Can you see Paul in prison? He's by himself, inspired by the Spirit. And this is what he says, man, more than anything else, I want to remind you, people of God, family of God, army of God, grace, God's grace, and his peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, the most important thing I can remind you of is you are saved by God's grace. Don't ever forget that. And you have the peace of God in you. And he goes on to write this in verse 3. And I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I, I love this because knowing how this church started, it started with Lydia. It started with the jailer. And because Paul had poured his life into these two people and the family members and their friends, he started this church, this, this church that grew to we don't know how many, but it made an influence in the entire city. And now as he's writing this letter, Epaphroditus comes and takes this letter from the Apostle Paul and gives it back to the church. And it's with this heartfelt passion and zeal that now I understand why Paul said, man, I am so thankful for every single one of you. Those weren't just empty words, man. Those were heartfelt words because he saw their lives transform before their, his very eyes in an internal transformation, a work of God had started in every single one of those people because they received Christ. And Paul says to him, I want you to take care of this letter, man, because these people mean so much to me. They're in my heart. We're one. We're family. And he says this. I think the key verse in here that I wanted to zero in on is this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I am absolutely certain. I am absolutely confident of this. I, I could just feel, you know, the, the, the conviction in the Apostle Paul's heart, man. I'm not certain of many things. I am certainly not confident of much. But what I am certain of is this, that God is working in you and he will continue that work. This, this is so important because I think that there might be somebody listening to this right now or, or watching this via, you know, internet that maybe we've lost our confidence. Maybe we lost the perspective that God is still working. Maybe it sense, feels like we haven't heard God's voice for years. We have not sensed God's presence for years. We feel dry inside even of the passion of, of living for Christ. And God wants you to know right now he is still working in your life. He wants you to continue to partner with him. And I remember in 1982, 
I was in a, a room of 300 other high school students. And the guy who got up and gave the gospel message, the good news, he asked, if you want to know God right now, you can come right to the front, man. I ran down to the front, knelt down, gave my life to Jesus, surrendered everything to him. And as soon as I got up from that moment, it was like it was yesterday, man. I remember getting up from that moment and God was already starting a work in my heart. That was over 30 years ago. And God is still working. And I, I love that, that God calls us to this partnership. And all he asked us to do is, look, I want you to cooperate with me. Let me do the work in your life. And this is my prayer. This is the work that I want to do in your life. My prayer is this, verse 9 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of his righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Man, more than anything else, I want you to love people well. And that work that I'm doing in your life I am going to bring that to completion. I am so absolutely certain of this. He is so confident. In fact, he displays his confidence by even three, a couple chapters later in chapter 3 of Philippians that, that he gives a kind of a contrast. If, if you have your Bibles, turn over to um, Philippians chapter 3, just a, a few verses, verses 4 to 6. And this is what he says. Look, man, if, if you want to play the comparison game, let's play that game. And, and here's what I have to say. Comparing yourself to someone else never works. But this is what I want you to know. Don't have confidence in the flesh. Don't have confidence in the things of the world. This is what he says, verses 4 to 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Man, if there's someone who could give confidence in the flesh, I'm the guy. If someone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, man. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, a tribe of, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, man, I was persecuting the church, people of God. As for righteousness based on the law, man, I was faultless. What he's saying is I had it all. I had education, I had the lineage, I came from the right family, I followed all the rules, I was righteous before God, I even had passion that I was throwing Christians in prison and thinking I was doing a service to God. You know what I was thinking about this? We do the very same thing. It's so easy for us to have all this confidence in our education, in our gifts, in our talents, and what we have accomplished. And we get into this danger zone of missing out on really where the confidence should be. For you may be here watching or listening and just thinking, I have absolutely zero confidence in myself. So many, so many mistakes I've made in my life, so many failures, things that have happened to me. I don't even know if I can have any confidence in anything. But what I love about this is that Paul is inspiring us. Look. If there's any one reason that I can be confident, it's this. It's not holding on to our confidence. It's holding on to Him who is our confidence. I, I, think, I think we just need to, to do that one more time. It's not holding on to our confidence. It's not the fact that I've done all these things or we've done all these things or accomplished these things. It's holding on to Him 
who is our confidence. To illustrate this, I, I think what Paul is saying is, is, is to illustrate it this way. There were um, two girls in a neighborhood, two sisters, and they were having the swimming pool built in their backyard. The bulldozers came in, dug the hole, they put the plaster in, all the electrical, finally filled at the end of the summer, filled this, this pool with water and got it all ready to go. And the girls were so excited. And the first day they go swimming, one of them jumps in the deep end and the other one steps in from the shallow end to the deep end. And as they're both holding on to the side of the pool in the deep end, they launch off to the middle of the pool and now they're treading water. And dad, who was sitting right at the edge of the pool, could see their lack of confidence. He could see that they were afraid. Immediately, dad jumped in the pool. He held his two little girls. He grabbed them as close as he could to his chest and held them. And in that moment, those girls felt a sense of security and they felt a sense of safety and confidence because they were in the arms of the one who could touch the bottom of the deep end. I, I don't know, maybe for some of us, we feel like we're in the deep end of life. We feel like we've lost our confidence. We feel like our, our confidence has been stripped away. And it's not to return to the confidence of those things. It's to return to Him. I don't have any confidence that the vaccine is going to work or not and whether the vaccine is going to come now or later. I don't have confidence in the economy. I don't have confidence in school opening or not opening. I don't have confidence in, you know, who's, who I'm going to marry or what school I'm going to go to or where I'm going to end up in life or whether I'm going to have kids or not have kids. There is one thing we can have confidence in, and that is Him. That is Jesus Christ and His book. Here's the question. I want to know if you know Him in relationship. I'm not talking about going to a place. I'm not talking about going to a church building, going to a church service. All those things are great. But I'm talking about really knowing God intimately in relationship and knowing that this book is where our confidence can lie in. This book is amazing. This Bible, 66 books that were written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, three different languages, over three different continents, and they all point to the same thing. There is no way that humans could have just put this book together, all 66 books. It had to have been through the handiwork of God using all these people over those 1,500 years and the Holy Spirit put this book together. And either Jesus Christ is who He said He was or He isn't. If He is the Son of God, the Messiah, God in flesh, which we know that He is, and He paid the price for all of our sins, that He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's where our confidence comes from. That's where we can put our hope. And verse 9 means so much more. That this is my prayer, your love may abound for one another, that you may grow in the knowledge and the depth and insight, being confident of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Have you stepped into him? Have you stepped into relationship with Christ? Awesome if you have. Have you stepped into his work? Have you surrendered your life to his kingdom and his work? I think, number one, very simple, we need to redefine what church is. Church is not a place. Church is not a building. Church is not a service. It's not something we just come to. It's not something we just come and punch our spiritual time card in with God. The church is people, a family. We are a team in relationship with God and relationship with others. How can we together advance the gospel? That's what the whole book of Philippians is about. How can we dangerously advance this gospel, not by being obnoxious, 
by simply loving people one at a time. And secondly, I want you to invite someone into your life. I want you to find a life group at Mission Vale Christian Church. I want you to find a, in a relationship with others where I can grow, where you can grow in relationship to God. And I want to challenge you to invite someone on that journey with you, inviting someone into your life. You know, in closing, they say that the Steinway piano is the most extravagant and awesome of all the pianos. It's, it's in a class all by itself. $120,000 for that piece of equipment. Dark walnut, beautifully handcrafted. But what's so amazing about the Steinway piano, I'm told, is that there are 12,500 different components in that piano, assembled by 200 different people. And then it goes to the pounder room. And in the pounder room, every key gets pounded 10,000 times which tells me it's what's inside that matters. The concert piano player sits down at the Steinway piano. Thousands of people in the arena listening to him play. And he has the confidence of knowing that that sound is going to be as beautiful as can be because he knows that the work was done on the inside. So being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you and me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Father, I thank you so much that, that you're the Lord. I thank you, God, that you started a work, and I thank you, God, you never give up. I thank you that you don't stop the work in us. Even when there's moments, we confess to you, God, that sometimes we just want to quit. We want to give up. We want to stop. It's just too hard. And God, I thank you that you never give up on us. And that inspires us, God, to keep living for you dangerously, God, in a world that seems so hostile against the good news of Jesus. We will keep moving forward, advancing the gospel, whether we're in prison or out of prison. Like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. God, this is our prayer that people will follow us as we are following Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope this was helpful for you. I just want to encourage you to share this message on, online with someone. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week as we continue on through the study of Philippians, dangerously following Jesus.